is such a special time because we are here to celebrate, to look forward to the fact that Jesus has come and to know in absolute faith and hope that he's coming again. And so as we worship this day, I pray that you will think about that, that you will know that, that you will claim that in your own life. I'm so glad that you're here and I'm glad that I'm here. Because of the hope, because of Christ in our life, I know, as it was quoted a moment ago, that he has a plan for you and for me. And it is a plan to prosper us, to make us well, to give us a hope and a future, and not to harm us at all. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a special verse of scripture. And have you not heard and do, not, do you not know that the Lord is almighty God and he will not get tired or weary. And he gives strength to the weak and he empowers the weary. And yes, youths, they get tired and weary. And young men will even stumble and fall. But those of you who hope in the Lord will renew your strength. You will soar on the wings of eagles. You will run and not be tired. You will walk and never faint. And I am so pleased because in all of this hope, I know that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and leads me beside the still waters. And he restores my soul. And he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though this world is a dark and troubling place, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death because of the hope that I have in the Lord, I will fear no evil. For I know that he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He is right there beside me walking every step of the way. And because of this hope, I have a security an absolute security that I can know because of his revelation to me of what he has done and what he is going to do for me and for you and for his kingdom. It is not wishful thinking. <laughs> it is not human consideration when we talk about this kind of hope. This is in the power and in the truth and the absoluteness of Almighty God. And therefore, we are to have this kind of faith. Because Scripture says, without faith, we cannot please God. Now think about that, please. Without this kind of faith that comes from the hope, the security that we have in Him, that we cannot please God. And that we are called as his people 
to believe in him and to declare him and to tell everybody that he exists and that he cares for and he blesses and even rewards those of us that seek him. These are all beautiful scripture passages that reassure us, that tell us that we don't have to walk through life by ourselves, but that we can walk in the, in the hope and therefore in the faith of Almighty God. Now, I trust that everybody in the room is a believer. If you're not, please see one of us before the day is out and let us talk to you about that. But in your belief, in your complete understanding of Jesus Christ in your life, I want you to realize that you don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be in despair. You don't have to be lacking in victory in your life. Now, I want to tell you a story. I love stories, as long as they're God's stories. I love God's stories. Now, this is a story a little bit unusual because it's about me. I don't ever like to put the spotlight on me, except that when I'm able to tell you what God has done in my life. And so I decided that since we were talking about hope, I was going to tell you about a hope that I have discovered in the last 40 years. Now, most of you know that I'm 80 years old. And so the last 40 years have been special 40 years for me. But part of my story that I have to tell you is that the first 40 years of my life, it was a struggle. I had a lot of insecurities. I had a lot of poor self-image. I had a lot of personal things that were difficult in my life. And so I had some real struggles as I came along. And it affected me in a lot of unusual ways. Now, I became a Christian when I was nine years old. That was a very genuine acceptance of Jesus Christ. I had grown up in a church, grown up in a good family. But still, the insecurities and the struggles were there. From the time I was nine years old to the time I was 17, I was very active in the church, very involved, completely committed, uh, just participated in everything, loved it. But for some reason, the insecurities began to win out. And when I was 17, I graduated from high school. I went directly into the Army. And for the next six years, I will just have to confess to you and admit that I went crazy. I actually call it my brain dead period for six solid years from the time I was 17 till the time I was 23. Now, the best way to illustrate this is I tell people all the time that my lovely wife and our two beautiful daughters and all of our grandchildren, if they had known me when I was 20 years old, they wouldn't have even spoken to me, <laughs> much less wanted to have a relationship with me. I was involved in all sorts of stuff at a big state university, fraternity life, all the party and all the drink and all the, the sin. 
It was a sad period of my life. Now, I was a Christian, remember. And, however, I want you to know that when I was 23 years old, after God had dealt with me severely and significantly for about a year and a half, one Tuesday morning, I got on my knees, excuse me, it was a Wednesday morning, on my knees in 1965, and I confessed to the Lord all of the stuff that I'd been doing. And I asked him to forgive me, and it was a thrill for me to say to you and for me to know that even though I had told him several times to go away and leave me alone, that I was doing my own thing, and I didn't want to mess with him during those six years of my life, he never left me. Because when I got on my knees and confessed to him, immediately there was power in my life. He forgave me. I gave up a lot of habits that I had that day. Uh, by the way, I was president of the fraternity. <laughs> I resigned that night and moved out of the fraternity house the next day. And within five days, I had met a bunch of other guys in the dormitory that had a Bible study. And four weeks later, I was music and youth director of a little church. You think God wasn't in that? Boom, boom, boom. But I was still a struggler. I was still not victorious. Because I had not realized and not paid attention to the absolute dependency that he was asking me to have on him. In my emotional struggles, in some slight depression that I had during those years, in my insecurity, I was struggling almost every day, and I was struggling mainly with worry. I was a worrier of the highest order. I worried about everything. I worried about health. I worried about finances. I worried about the world. I worried about me. I worried if anyone liked me. I, do, I worried, 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 worried. And also, believe it or not, and yes, you must believe it, but I was shy. You think I would have ever done what I'm doing now? No, 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 no. Now, I was educated. I got a master's degree. I got a PhD during those years. I was now 30, 35, moving on up closer to 40. But I was still one struggling soul because I had not taken in the absolute reality of the hope that we have available to us through Jesus Christ. One day I was reading scripture as I did. I was a minister. I was working. I was serving the Lord. I still was just defeated and struggling. But I was reading scripture, and I was reading in the sixth chapter of Matthew. I hope you know what I'm about to refer to, because in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, Jesus Christ, in his statements on the Sermon on the Mount, which that's a recording of it, he says, do not worry. Now, I want everybody to hear me say that one more time, because he says, not me, Jesus Christ says, do not worry. Now, he didn't say, maybe do not worry. He didn't say, give some consideration to not worry. It was a declarative statement. Do not worry. 
And then in Matthew 6.33, he says, If you will seek me first in all of my righteousness, meaning if you will seek him and all of his ways, then he said, I will take care of everything that you need. He didn't say part of what you need. He didn't say a little bit of what you need. If you seek me first and live according to my life, then I will take care of everything that you need. Well, I read that. I was probably in my late 30s, 39, 38, somewhere right along in there. And it was like something just came completely over me. I said to myself out loud, I said, this is Jesus Christ talking to Don Solomon. He just said to me that I don't have to worry that if I'll seek him and live according to the way he teaches me to live, that he will take care of everything that I'm worried about and that I'm frightened of and that I'd struggle with. Folks, I'm pleased to say that that changed my life. Now, please, I do not have any kind of exclusive rights to this statement. This is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, speaking to you. It is the hope that he gives to all of us. It is the foundation of our Christian life. It is the foundation of our security. And he goes on to say in Matthew 6, 34, the next verse, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to have enough troubles of its own. Now, how many of you are worried about tomorrow? If I ask you to hold up your hand, I'm not going to. But if I ask you to hold up your hand, how many of you would say I'm worried? I'm going to put mine down. Because 40 years ago, I gave it up as a bad habit in and through the power of Jesus Christ. I do not worry. Now, some people say, oh, Don, you're lying. No, I don't lie also. But I do not worry. Now, it's not because of me. No, not at all. It is because of him. And it is because of the truth that he gives to you and me that we have the hope in him that what he says is true. Now, it's either true or he's the biggest liar in the world, and he is not a liar. And I'm here to declare to you that this verse of Scripture, Matthew 6, 33 and 34, changed my life 40 years ago. And I am so thankful because the last 40 years, I have lived in the peace that Jesus Christ gives through his hope. Now, I can do it, so can you. Now, I don't like depression and despair. I've spent 50 years sitting in a counselor's seat in my offices over the years. I wish I'd have kept track, but I have dealt with hundreds of people, maybe even thousands in 50 years. And basically every one of those people is depressed. And about 98% of those people are Christians, folks like you and me, believers, church involved, 
growing in their Christian faith, knowing the truth of Scripture, going to church, hearing sermons, but yet they're still depressed. They're still struggling. They're still defeated. Now, I pray and I hope that there's not a defeated Christian in the room. But knowing people as I know them, I'm certain that there are many defeated Christians in the room. Because we live in our human struggles. And it is a struggle. It is a battle, yes. But I am telling you that we have the hope of Jesus Christ and the power of peace and rightness in him. If, if you and I will just pay attention to what he's doing in our lives. Do you know that we pay a lot more attention to a lot of other things? A lot of other things. I do. You do. But if we would just pay attention and stand on the things that the Lord has done in our lives and that we have seen. You've heard me say that I love God's stories. Well, I hope you've got God's stories. I hope you've got stories in your life related to provisions, related to miracles, related to things that have changed, related to decisions that you've made in your life that indicate that you're not walking by yourself, that God is alive and well and working very well in your life as a man or a woman or a family or a church because he is working and he is doing all sorts of things. Now, when we pay attention, then we can live victoriously. When we don't pay attention, somehow we become blind. Now, I'm going to tell you a biblical story right now. And this story is about a powerful man 2,800 years ago that you know some of the story. You know his name. His name is Elijah. He was a prophet in the Old Testament. This, If you want to look this up now or later, it's in the 17th, 18th, and 19th chapter of 1 Kings. And here's Elijah, and he is a man of God. He is a man of power. He's living in a difficult time with evil Ahab and Jezebel around him, king and queen. And there's a drought going on. But as we first get the story, Elijah is being blessed by the Lord. Because the Lord even told Elijah, even though there was a drought going on and their food was very scarce, he said, you go out and do what I've told you to do and you will drink water from the brook and you will eat because the birds, the ravens, will come and feed you. Seems like an unusual kind of a process. But that's what God said and that's what happened. And Elijah, he was nourished and sustained because of the provision of the Lord. Then the Lord said, now, the next thing, you go into the town and you're going to meet a widow. And this widow is going to feed you. And he went into the town and as he got to the gate, there was a widow out by the gate. And he saw that she was gathering sticks. And he went up to the widow and told her that, that he wanted her to go home and fix him a biscuit and some food. And she said, I have a jar with a little bit of oil in it. 
and a little bit of flour, and that's all the food that I have. And I have a son, and I'm gathering up these sticks so that I can go and fix a meal for the son and myself. And then, because we have no more food, we are going to die. Now, at that point, is Elijah going to tell this widow woman what God had said? God said, tell her to fix you food. Well, that's exactly what Elijah did. He said, go and do as you're saying. Fix me a biscuit and fix some food from the little flour and the oil that you have in your jar. And that oil and that flour will never run out. And you will be able to feed your whole family. And that's exactly what happened. A miracle from Almighty God through the, the hand and the power of Elijah speaking to this woman. Not only then, but then he was caring for this family. And the son of this family got deathly ill and died. And now Elijah is praying to the Lord and asking for the Lord to raise this child up and to give the child and the family life. And God honors that. And now there is a resurrection, a miracle that Elijah participates in. Now it goes on even further. I want you to see the ways that God has provided, the ways that God has cared for, the ways that God has given God's stories to Elijah, and he is experiencing all these wonderful things. But now he's coming face to face with this Ahab and Jezebel, and they are against him, and they call him the troubler of the land, and he says, Elijah says to Ahab, the king, I want you to get all of the prophets of Baal and have them come to Mount Carmel. 450 prophets of Baal. 400 prophets of Azrath, another pagan goddess. And you bring them to Mount Carmel and we're going to determine who is the one true God. Now, you know this story, I hope, because it's a powerful story. Because the prophets of Baal come to Mount Carmel. Elijah's there all by himself. Is that correct? No. He has Almighty God. He's already been given miracle after miracle after miracle. And now he's standing before these prophets, 450 of them. And he says, all right, we're going to have two bulls. Y'all are going to have your bull. I'm going to have my bull. You're going to set up your altar. I'm going to set up my altar. And we're going to ask for our God to bring fire to consume this meat that we put on the altar. You ask your God, I'll ask my God. Amen. Elijah lets the, the prophets of Baal go first. They cut up their meat. They put it on their altar. They start praying and wailing and chanting and going through all of their rituals related to their God bringing fire to cook this meat. Nothing, 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 nothing. And makes me smile a little bit, but then Elijah starts taunting them. He says, well, maybe your God is busy. Or maybe he's sleeping. Or, gosh, maybe your, your God is traveling. 
and he can't hear you, and he's not doing anything. And all that did was make the prophets of Baal more agitated, and they're going more about it, even cutting their bodies and going through all sorts of pagan rituals trying to get their God to demonstrate his power. Finally, after all that's over with, Elijah says, now it's my turn. And so Elijah cuts up his meat, puts it on his altar, and then he tells the prophets of Baal, you pour water all over my meat, all over this altar. They pour buckets of water all over it. He says, do that again. Do it a second time. They do it a second time. They pour water all over it. He says, no, do it third time. Do it three times. There was so much water all over the altar of Elijah and over his meat and over all of what he was sacrificing that the water was just running down off the side and in the trenches and all around. And then Elijah prays a simple prayer and says, Almighty God, show your power and the truth of who you are. Bring fire to this place. Boom. Just like that, fire. Consumed everything, Elijah and the Lord against 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah, ruthless story here, but Elijah has all the prophets of Baal killed. And so he's victorious. Think, please, of all of the positiveness, all of the blessings, all of the miracles, all of what Elijah has experienced in this story. But then something tragic enters into Elijah's life. Because he's had all the prophets of Baal killed, then Jezebel, the queen, says, as surely as I am alive right now, I am going to have Elijah's life. I am going to kill him. At that point, Elijah and his insecurities and his hope vanished. Blindness and darkness took over this godly man because he was terrified. He was worried. He was afraid that this Jezebel was going to take his life. Now, he had prayed for rain to come, and the rain was coming, another miracle. And the Bible says that when the rain started, that Elijah tied up his robes around him, and he ran from Jezebel, ran 26 miles to hide from her and the fear that he suffered. And after he ran 26 miles, the story goes on, and he ran another 100 miles. He's now run away from Jezebel and Ahab and from the fear and the worry and the terror that he was experiencing. He had forgotten about the power of God in his life. Now, not only did he run 26 miles and 100 miles, but then for the next 40 days and 40 nights, he traveled another 175 miles into the wilderness. And he found a cave. Now, here's Elijah, the man of God, depressed, defeated, forgetting the truth and the power of God. 
and he goes into the cave and he hides. Not only does he hide, but he says to God, I am here all by myself. They have killed all of your prophets. I'm the only one left. You hear the depression in this? He is alone and defeated and hiding in the cave. And he said, surely I will just lose my life. I'll take my life here. It would be better if I died. He was so depressed. Now, the point of this story is, is that he had experienced all of this power. And now he was blind to it. But God came and found him in the cave. God will come and find you in your cave. God found me in my cave when I was 23 years old out of complete sin in my life as a young adult. God found me in my cave when I was in my late 30s when I was still struggling with fears and worry. And God came into my cave and said, Don, what are you doing here? Don't you understand the hope, the power, the peace of what Jesus Christ brings into your life? If you'll trust me and do it my way, I'll take care of everything that you need. Elijah Yes, Elijah came out of the cave, and God blessed him with Elisha, his attendant that worked with him the rest of his life before Elijah was taken up into heaven, didn't even die. And God blessed him with 7,000 people that had not bowed their knee to Baal. Now, that's what God does. He had come into my cave. He had come into Elijah's cave. He had drawn us out. And I am so thrilled that I have the privilege of serving the Lord and of doing what I do to this very day. I love sharing with you. I love sitting in my office and counseling people. I love telling the truth about God's ways and God's power and the provision that he brings about in your life and in my life. However, I'm here to challenge your blindness. Now, I imagine everybody in the room can see physically. But are you blind? I, I don't know that I like this word, but it's a legitimate word. Are you ignorant to the power of Almighty God? All of us are ignorant of something. But are we blind to the power of Almighty God? Are, do we take him at his word? He says, if you'll seek me first, if you'll live according to my way, I will take care of everything that you need. You want hope? There's hope. That's truth. And then we live a defeated life because we're blind. We deny what Jesus Christ says to us. Please, please, open your spiritual eyes. Understand that you don't have to be defeated. It is not God's way. 
it is Satan's way and negative and defeat and all the stuff that we go through is not what God wants for us. And yet we live in it and we say, well, it's just life. Yeah, life is a struggle. Life is a storm. But guess who's overcome the storms? Jesus Christ and his truth and his power. And he has proven. And with this, I finish. He has proven by him coming 2,000 years ago, by him going to the cross, by him walking out of that grave with a smile on his face, by his ascension into heaven, and by his promise that he is coming back. Jesus Christ has proven that we can take him at his absolute word all the time. Please be just silent for a moment and think, not so much about what I'm saying, but think about what Jesus says to us and what God presents to us in the hope of Jesus Christ. Be silent for just a minute. Jesus, we ask that you forgive us. We confess to you that we are blind. We know that we pay so much attention to so many things. And we miss the very truth of your word. We miss the power that you give. We miss the fact that you are dependable. We can depend on you. We can live in hope and peace and the power that you give. Help us to see. Help us to live according to that. Help us to know that this is not just a Christmas season. That this is not just something we do because it's December. But this is something we do because of the truth of Jesus Christ. The fact that we are called to be your people. And we are to live in victory because of your presence in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for inviting us, allowing us, calling us. Thank you for letting us be a part of this great truth. And I pray for everybody in the room that we will live completely dependent, seeking you and your ways. And then we thank you because we will live then in hope and peace. Your ways. And we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please think on these things. This is Jesus speaking to all of us. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.